Series 13 has finally started. Yes, Doctor Who is back. The third and last series to be led by Chris Chibnall and the last to star Jodie Whittaker. Known under the collective title Flux, we review the first of this six-part serial called The Halloween Apocalypse. The cloister bell? Yes. What's that? Well, it's a sort of communications device reserved for wild catastrophes and sudden calls to man the battle stations. That's the cloister bell. Don't worry about that for now. It's not really terribly significant. The cloister bell? Oh, no. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cloister Bell podcast. I'm Liam, and I'm joined by Rob. How's it going, Rob? Hi, Liam. Good, thanks. Uh... It's weird. It's uh, it's weird being in a new Friday slot. Especially yes, especially considering it's Tuesday to us. So <laughs> yes, so uh, we're speaking to our listeners uh, from the past. We're speaking to them in the future. In, anyway, in the future, yes. <laughs> um, so uh, how's it been going? Anything, anything interesting, exciting been happening? Ooh, not really. Uh, maybe a couple of things. Oh, uh, I did go and see No Time to Die. Excellent. What did you think? Uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, I think I've already messaged you about it. It kind of it's gone from my mind now. I totally forgot about it until I just you just asked me what I'd been up to. So it didn't leave me uh, much to think about. I guess you know usually a movie might have you thinking for a while, but uh, it mm. was all right. It was entertaining. I'll watch it again. I might appreciate it more, but it was fine. I wouldn't rank it as the highest. Of the Daniel Craig's, yeah, I agree with that. Because uh, I've seen I've seen it at the cinema three times now, and um, I've really enjoyed enjoyed the film. Stuck with me, because rid- when I first watched it, I really liked it. But I was thinking, oh, I don't know how where to rank it or what my thoughts are. Second time I saw it, I went, oh, I really love this. I, in fact, it might be in my top five of all Bond films. Um, and now I've kind of calmed down a little bit. I still like the film. I don't think I rank it as as, as highly, and and I agree with you uh, in terms. Of, I mean, I never thought it was the best Daniel Craig film. For me, that's still Casino Royale. Um, yeah, it had some great moments, mm-hmm. um, and I, I'm sure it had a fair few Easter eggs in there. You probably noticed more than me. Uh, yeah, there was some ni- nice nods to Doctor No, the very first Bond films from '62. There were a couple of other things in there. One of the things, it's it's very prominent that in one of the scenes, this is no spoilers for people who haven't seen the movie, don't worry. Um, I'm not spoiling plot or anything. But there's uh, there's one scene where you can see the portrait of um, Judy Dench's M. But also the, oh, I've forgotten the actor's name now, which is bugging me. Cause anyway, I know the scene, I did notice this one, yeah. Yeah, the, the M from the 80s. Um, yeah. Uh, which I thought was a, was a nice touch. Um, so yeah, there, there were a few nods to the past. Yeah. In a few bits and pieces with the music score here and there. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think for, for anyone who hasn't seen it, we'll, we'll just leave it there. But uh, I did enjoy it. I did also... I'm so pleased I, I was able to see it at the, the cinema. I, I, I saw The Last Duel, um, which is one of those films that is very good, but is unfortunately not doing very well at the box office. And in fact, I think I don't think it's... I think it's had a very brief showing. 
um, but I think it might be getting streamed quite shortly. Um, oh, right. Uh, very strong. Was that, was that good? Yeah, very, very good film. Um, very strong, very powerful. Um, and I, I'd certainly I'd certainly recommend it. Um, it's based on a real historical event uh, in 14th century France where um, a woman... I mean, this is the, this is quite the movie certificate eighteen. So, for one, you know, she gets um, very serious. She gets raped. Um, I was trying to avoid using mm-hmm. the word, but that's what All happens. Right. And um, she you know, she doesn't let this go. And it's the the last time where a jewel was used during the French judicial procedure. And obviously, being the time of the fourteenth century, it was the case of whoever wins it that decision is ordained by God. So if the accused uh, wins, then that means that she was lying. So not only would her husband be killed in the duel, but she would also be burned at the stake. You know, those were... The, the, Wowza. Okay. Yeah. So there's that. I, I really like how the, the film is, is structured. You see the, the story from the three perspectives. So you see um, the story from the perspective of the husband... You then see it from the perspective of the man accused, and then you see the truth, basically, which is her side of the story. It's uh, It's got Matt Damon in it, who also co-wrote the script. Uh, it's directed by Ridley Scott. I've forgotten the actress's name, but for anyone who's familiar with the BBC series Killing Eve, um, uh, the, 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 the assassin in that series, she plays the leading role. Does a fantastic performance. It's a very, very good film. I'm so pleased I was able to see it at the cinema. Um, yeah, that's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then hopefully sometime soon I shall be seeing June at the cinema. Uh, yeah, I hope I'll get a chance to see it too. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's on the IMAX. Yes. When yeah. I went to see No Time to Die, um, I just missed it, um, going to see it in the IMAX with the recliner chairs, uh, which was annoying. I had to sit in the... Uh, the chairs that don't move. All <laughs> oh, right, okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, <laughs> I guess it was a bit cheaper. Yeah, yeah, there is that. Um, any th- anything else? Well, oh yeah, well, yes, actually, last Friday. Well, I started it in the morning, and I'd finished the whole series by the evening. I watched Squid Games on Netflix. Ah right, okay. Have the you series heard of that everyone's one? Yeah, the series that everyone's talking about. But you haven't watched it yet, no. No. <laughs> I probably no. won't. Um but uh, I know what the premise is about and I know it's a, it's a South Korean television series. Yeah, it is a television series, yeah. <laughs> so, uh it's basically in South Korea. It is dubbed into English. Uh I think we're fortunate enough um sorry, we're fortunate that most of the stuff we watch is in English. Uh, so, as with anything that is dubbed, you know, you have to kind of acclimatise for a few minutes. Um, I think I'd much prefer it if it was subtitled. Uh, yeah, I get that. The I think you got to... I give them a bit of credit because, compared to some things, uh, the lip sync is done really well. Um, maybe they've made some compromises with the script and it really fits well. The voices, on the other hand, <laughs> they're very eccentric and it, yeah, it's a bit weird. But um, a few episodes in, you know, your brain just kind of 
um, gets used to it. Mm. And uh, it was a few episodes in, you know, it's, it's quite good. Yeah, the psychological side side of it, and there's a bit of a mystery going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'd recommend it. I'd recommend it to anyone but kids. <laughs> I think that's it for everything I've watched. Um, we submitted some questions over to neither the Time nor Space podcast mm-hmm. uh, last week for their charity Wheelie Big Quiz, uh, and annoyingly. David got all the questions right. I think we I made it too easy on him because you, you you submitted a question to me, Liam, and then I kind of I found out they needed six questions, so I emailed that over with multiple choice. Ah, uh, right, okay. Because uh, the, the question I had was when was episode four of the tenth planet broadcast, like the exact yeah, date. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I did I did give him multiple choice for that one. I gave him obviously the exact date and. Uh, there was a previous date and then a couple of later dates, but he didn't really know, so he did kind of just try and work it out, and he mm-hmm. did, get, did get it right. Yeah. So if we're ever on that, if we ever get a chance, we'll have to make it super hard. Um, yeah. Yeah. Actually, Harry t- and Luke from the Who Can Convince You podcast are actually doing the quiz for them um, the following week, which should be out. Um, probably by the time this podcast's out mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, well, we're actually talking of which, because uh, I think this is an opportunity. <clears throat> um, Monday just gone from, from when we're recording this. Uh, you and uh, presenters of other podcasts did a, a, a live YouTube thing. We did, yeah. We did a live after show the day after the Halloween apocalypse. We've been planning that for a short while. Um, I reached out to them and... I didn't know who would respond, and you know they were all really happy to do it. Um, so I'll say a quick thanks to them. Uh, thanks to uh, Matt in his tuxedo and his Spider-Man pajama pants. Yeah, he was looking very um, dapper. Oh yeah, uh, Mark and Harry have been amazing. Um, Carolyn and Shona, who got delayed in Glasgow with all the climate stuff going on, but they didn't make it um, an hour later. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, and Luke, who I think I kind of broke, and he'll never be the same man again because <laughs> he felt compelled to watch all of Whitaker's era and he kind of binged Series 12, Revolution of the Daleks, and the Halloween Apocalypse oh, the poor all in man. one day. And then he joined the three-hour live stream. <laughs> oh, bloody uh, hell. Right, okay. He literally woke up in the morning and put Spyfall on, and then he was done by the end of the day. Is that possible? That is dedication. I mean, yeah. I don't. Know, I don't know whether to be impressed. You must kind of hate Doctor Who now. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um. Obviously, the live stream didn't go as planned to begin at the beginning. I knew there'd be some problems because you know that's just life. That's, that happens. Mm-hmm. Um. Especially with me, I thought it's not going to work. <laughs> uh, but I felt if it didn't work, I'd feel mostly guilty. Uh. For uh, for Luke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think because yeah. um, uh, I was there watching it, uh, provi- yeah, I got some... I got your message to say that <laughs> you couldn't hear anyone. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even yeah, know. you loud and clear. It was fine. It was yeah. everyone else couldn't hear. Something tells me that I'm was the only wrong. one that matters. You know, screw <laughs> them. Yeah, <laughs> mute. <laughs> um, but yeah, after that, uh, I think it's the first forty minutes or so where, the te- and then everything else just smooths out, and then we get everyone on board, and it was it was actually really great to to see and, uh, and hear everyone. So yeah, uh, I agree with you, Rob. Um, 
also send out my thanks to everyone who took part and also thanks to uh, to everyone else who was watching and for their patience as well and hopefully the yeah. next because uh the plan is rob to do that for for every episode of flux is that right possibly yeah it, obviously we have this to do we have a, we have our own podcasts mm-hmm. which everyone's podcast is the priority and these people have been so kind given their time yes yeah yeah simply simply because i asked and you know time's really important they're doing their own stuff they've got their own lives mm-hmm. um and it's, it's so nice of them so grateful yeah. uh so if we do i'm sure by the time this podcast goes out we might have arranged the second one because when it's not going to come out on a specific day we'll just see when people are available mm-hmm. um just make it a bit of a bit of a, like a live hangout and hopefully it'll go right and it won't be three hours long next time and <laughs> um, if anyone does want to check it out you can go to our youtube channel or go to our website cloisterbellpodcast.com and if you go on the video if you skip ahead to the 37 minute mark that's when <laughs> it kind of starts so yeah yeah and as you say rob uh then we've got all the teething problems out with the first one so the next one that happens that will hopefully be playing sailing yeah uh, uh, I just used this opportunity to talk about our own social media um, stuff. So we are on Twitter, like uh, like all the good people, uh, at Podcast Bell. Um, that's probably the best place to get in contact uh, with us. Um, we do get uh, quite a lot of uh, responses from people, so please um, get in contact. Uh, we do appreciate it, and we like hearing other people's opinions on uh, stories or Doctor Who in general. Uh, we're on Instagram as well at cloister underscore bell, and our website, yes. as Rob mentioned before, is cloisterbellpodcast dot com. Uh, yes, and uh, if anyone would like to email us, I've made a special email address for the next six weeks, which is flux at cloisterbellpodcast dot com. All right, excellent. Just just because I could, I just did it. <laughs> so send us an email. Yep, and, or a voice clip. It's not too long. <laughs> Share, like, subscribe uh, if you like the podcast because uh, we're on Apple. Do reviews there only if they're positive. If not, then sod off. Yes. Um, and uh, if you really want to go the extra step, I mean, we appreciate all the support and comments that we get in general, and we cannot thank you enough. But if you'd like to go that extra step, you can also support us on Patreon. Uh, you can find us on the Patreon website, uh, and the link is also on our own website as well. So, without any further yes. ado. Let's talk about uh, episode one of Flux, the Halloween apocalypse. Yes. So it's Halloween 2021. A storm approaches. Something is tearing through space and time and doing everything it touches. A prisoner of the Time Lord's escape. Uh, a deadly enemy of the Doctor's who she has no memory of. The stakes are high as we progress over different times, places and see the return of the Weeping Angels and the war-hungry Sontarans. There appears to be no hope as we are faced with the end of everything. The cast and crew Jodie Whittaker plays the Doctor Mandib Gill plays Yasmin Khan John Bishop uh, joins the series as the new companion Dan Lewis Craig Ells plays Carvinistra, Steve Oram plays Joseph Williamson Nadida Albina plays Diane Sam Spurrell plays Swarm Rochdinda Sandal plays Azure slash Anna Jacob Anderson plays Vinder Annabelle Scully plays Claire, Jonathan Watson plays Riscoll, and Dan Skarkey plays Krager. The story was written by Chris Chibnall, and it was directed by Jamie Magnus Stone. Uh, 
So as the title suggests, the Halloween apocalypse, it was appropriately uh, broadcast on the 31st of October, Halloween Day. Um, so as this is starting off um, a brand new series of Doctor Who under this umbrella flux, um, mm. it, flux. It, has a, it has an awful lot to uh, set up. Uh, it has an awful lot of characters. Um, in some respects, uh, I feel that the episode feels quite a bit bitty, really, I suppose. Um, but it's it, it somehow yeah, works in yeah. gels, and of course it works as an introduction. Um, How long was it? Like, Was it an hour long? I, I think so. Uh, did, did it feel like a long episode to you? Okay, it, this probably sounds weird, but... I really enjoyed it, but it felt long. You know, it's usually you like something and it flies by. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with that. It felt was, long. <laughs> it was. Um, I totally agree with that. I, I enjoyed it for the most part, but yeah, I did feel, I did feel like my interest was waning a little bit on occasion, and it, I did feel like it was uh, a little bit long. But despite that, actually, the the episode starts off really with the ground running. So. We begin initially with a uh, with a black screen, and the Doctor is talking to someone, clearly someone who is the enemy, and she's talking about you know how um, if you feel like I'm paraphrasing, um, but if you feel you know she's saying if you think you're going to be defeated, you you are sadly mistaken type thing, um, and then and then we cut into the image of them uh, them being the Doctor and Yasmin hanging upside down on a gravity bar a bar. Uh, over an acid sea, um, about to be plunged to their deaths. Um, uh, well, before I give my opinions on on how this episode opens up, what what were your thoughts, Rob? On the opening scene, yeah. Uh, I think it was great. Personally, this, these scenes aren't quite for me. Um, when we have these over-the-top action scenes like from the Russell T. Davis era uh, and the Moffat era. Mm-hmm. We haven't had anything quite like this, I don't think, in Chibnall's run. Uh, it it was a bit of fun. The The visuals were brilliant. It gets to the point where they're, they're on the this anti-gravity bar, it's broken half, and it looks like they're on witches' brooms. Yes, it does. Uh, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, it, it it was great. I don't have a problem with it. Personally, these scenes aren't for me, but I just I did enjoy it. Yeah, that, that pretty sums up my, my feelings for it as well. When I thought it followed the usual beats that we expect with that sort of opening, when we just hear the, the Doctor's voice to begin with and no visuals of you know, saying, if you think you're going to be de- uh, defeated, you're sadly mistaken. And it was sort of, yeah, and then when the, the, when we, when the visuals switch on, as it were, um, they're clearly, clearly going to be in a, in a state of jeopardy. And it was like, yes, they were, but, and it was going to say, well, they're just going to, when the gravity bar switches off, they're just going to sort of um, be able to grab at the top and flip over. That's how it does. You know, so I was able to sort of see the usual beats and mm. it, it didn't really surprise me. But, so I, th- my personal take of it, it was sort of like yours, Rob. Um, it didn't really do anything much for me, but I thought it was fine. But... That's not a fault of the episode, funnily, I would say. I think what Chris Chibnall has done here is made a very, very good introduction for, for kids 
who are I mean, totally who are the face yeah, of it. Are they... We would have loved this once upon a time. Yeah, yeah, as as, as kids rather than the rather than the uh, the bitter twisted adults that we have now become. Um, as kids, we would have loved this, and that's primarily you know this. I could, um, I mean, just so did your because you got two daughters. Did have they seen this? No, uh, over the years I've tried to get them interested. We're well, not forced it on them, but I put it on. But um, yeah. no, uh, they're not quite there yet. All oh, right, okay. No, I was ju- I was just sort of curious. But I think children... they're more into YouTube the kids these days. They don't care about you know entertainment that's actually had money put into it. Mm. No, kids don't want to know. Oh, tell me about it. I was all uh... the crap on YouTube. Yeah, you, you name it, they'll watch it on repeat for hours. Yeah, well, I was I was a friend's house recently, and he's got uh, he's got a few daughters, and you know, catching up with my mates and the, the family there and all the rest of it. But they had their YouTube connected to uh, a big to a television, and after a while, we were just kind of looking at what they were watching, and it was just the really awful, cheapest uh, show ever, and it was just it was just like Barbie dolls with someone narrating yeah. over it. Oh and yeah, I've had I've had them on today. Yeah, it's just on the telly. What is the yeah. appeal of this? It looks awful. I mean, we had Rugrats. Um, what, what, what the hell? So yes, okay, fair enough. I can get it because I've, I've seen it myself and just go, no, nope, cannot see the appeal. Yeah. But YouTube's a thing. But this kind of stuff ranks above Disney. It really does. Apparently. <laughs> Oh, all right, okay, each to their own. Yeah. I feel like you know. What? I'm just going to send you some of the random crap I have to watch. Oh no, please don't. Um, <laughs> that's very kind of you, but you don't have to. Um, but anyway, going back to the the, <laughs> the introduction <laughs> to the episode. Um, so yeah, I thought I thought it was fine for, for me. It didn't really sort of like engage me. But what I did reckon, and you're right, Rob, the, the visuals were fantastic. I thought the visually looked very stunning, and I loved the, the design of the alien planet and everything. It was sort of like very green and quite visually strong. Um, and I thought, well, really, that you know, this would grab well, unless they're watching YouTube, but this would grab uh, kids' attention, and uh, you know, so I thought the introduction was fine on that. Yeah. And it was just like, oh, as a as a thirty-four-year-old, <laughs> it's just it's like, yeah. what should I still be watching this? And wouldn't all the kids be out trick or treating at this point? Because I was. Are we? Yeah, but you're yeah, not a kid, but... Rob. No, I did have kids with me. I yeah, was... your own. Yeah, my yeah. own. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah, hi. So the ones that were in staying, the, that were at home watching Doctor Who, I was banging on that door, begging. <laughs> <laughs> Give us sweets. We're watching Doctor Who, sort of. Yeah. Um, so anyway, th- that's the introduction. I think it was, as I said, it didn't really do do much for me, although I thought it was visually stunning. I thought the production levels were good. There was a lot of fun there. And as you said, when the gravity bar um, breaks in two and they're both having to cling on to it, uh, it does look like they're riding broomsticks. And so there's the, that bit of a Halloween theme in the episode, um, you know, yeah. which we get it's always on. good when there's something that makes you feel like, oh, come on, for God's sake, and get to the room talking. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and the, and they manage to sort of crash land in the TARDIS, and there's uh, there's mattresses, and, you know, so they have a soft yeah. landing, and then they, and then they um, try to get back to Earth, and we crash into the title sequences, uh, title sequence, rather, and everything's great. Um, yeah. And then, uh, because... Uh, uh, the story is sort of is, is set very much in different time periods. We we've got the present, but we've also got um, and then we've got the the future, which I'll mention in in a bit. But we also have the past, um, 
Yeah, uh, this is probably the most curious thing. Well, no, it's all a bit bizarre. It is, but um, well, first of all, because Chris Chibnall is from Liverpool, and uh, and so he's set the story in Liverpool. In much the same way, if I was in charge of Doctor Who, we would have to have at least one story set. It'd all be here. Yes. Yeah, it'd all be here. Uh, so it's Liverpool, eighteen twenty, and we have this chap called Joseph Williamson who is constructing tunnels. And Joseph Williamson is actually a real historical figure. I don't know much about him, it's got to be said, but he was born on the 10th of March, 1769, and he died on the 1st of May, 1840. And he is described as an eccentric businessman, property owner, and philanthropist. And the tunnels in which he's building in this episode are also real. And they're called the Williamson Tunnels, named after him. Uh, And this is in real life. Um, They were created between 1810 and 1840. And so they stopped when he died. Um, and so and this is 1820 and this is 1820 so this episode takes place halfway through that period of the tunnels being constructed so I wonder if that tells us something about from from, from the 19th century's setting of the story I wonder if that tells us something are we going to be going into Liverpool between 1820 to 1840 will John Williamson die as a result of whatever happens in the further episodes yeah. Um, because the re- and again I'm talking about in reality here Not the reason for the tunnels remains a complete mystery no one knows really why Joseph Williamson really yeah no no one knows um, can't wait to find out yeah the, the, the you know the complete <laughs> theories and everything but by the looks of it Chris Chibnall has found out whatever that is but has built a story He's... around that mystery yeah um, now th- I thought this was interesting because uh, um, we we have this mystery set up uh, within the episode of um, J- Joseph Williamson is is getting loads of people to to build these tunnels, and this is causing sort of questions of going, what are you doing? What are these tunnels for? And he's very defensive. Um, so we have this mystery set up, but and I was I was watching it and I was engaged with the story, but I can. Comp- but as the story progressed, I completely forgot about it. Yeah, and he's left standing there until the end of the episode. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, I forgot about him. Yeah, yeah. And funny enough, it was because um, at, at the very end of the episode, obviously we'll, we'll get onto this in a bit. But at the very end of the episode, we you know we have this big, you know, this big cliffhanger of you know the, reminding us you know what's going on, and so we have all these shots of of people we've encountered within the episode. And we have Joseph Williamson in the foreground, um, staring, looking mysterious as he's looking at his tunnels. And um, and then it was just like, oh yeah, I forgot about that bit. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so there's that element of the story. Um, You'd think it would have made sense, you know, when Dan's in the museum talking about local heritage and things. You think you would have mentioned that there and then. Well, actually, I was going to mention something. Okay, so jumping ahead a little bit, um, so we can wait till we get there if you'd rather. No, 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 I think this is a good. I think this is a good opportunity to uh, to bring up this new character. So John Bishop, who's a well, he, he's in Britain. He's mainly known for for being a stand-up comedian. Um, he's he's joined uh, the series as a new companion, Dan Lewis, and he is established as being passionate about Liverpool. Uh, that is where he's from. 
just John Bishop is a Liverpoolian, uh, by the way. Um, so he plays this character. He's passionate about Liverpool. He comes there. He supports, um, you know, the, uh, the football team there. Uh, he's also very interested in history. Uh, in general, but obviously, particularly that of, of of Liverpool history, he's kind. He cares for others, and at, at his own expense. Uh, you know, we actually, I think his character is is established really rather well. We get a sense of his interests. Um, you know, the the fact that he's very kind. In fact, there's a line of dialogue within one of his very first scenes where he where he says, you know, what's the point of living if it isn't to make others happy. Um, and he works at a food bank, even though he himself isn't. Uh, I mean, when we go to his home, it's it's quite modest, and the cupboards are bare. He's got no food himself. Yeah, he's he's pretty selfless. Yeah, yeah, very he's selfless. Quite a nice guy. So very, you know, very nice guy. Um, Almost uh, ominously too nice. Am I reading too much into it? Yeah, I think that says more about you, <laughs> Robin. <than, laughs> uh, Trust issues. Than, um, but one of the things I was going to say was that I think his interest in history and that of Liverpool history, I think, because um, we know that he's going to be a big part and effectively he's the new companion of the series, I think he will provide vital information and be vital to the unfolding events linked with the Williamson Tunnel. Yeah. Uh, I think there'll be other things going on with his character as well. I don't think it'd just be that, but I think he his his interest in uh, uh, the history of Liverpool, I think, will tie up um, to what's happening in Liverpool in eighteen twenty. Yes, perhaps. That, yeah, I mean that's my guess. I, having said that, though, that there's been a couple of times when Chris Chibnall has introduced characters in a particular way, and that hasn't really followed through like you know when um uh oh what's his name toss and cole played him yeah ryan. um ryan and yeah. yaz yeah um the way that ryan is introduced you would think he's you know he's very much on youtube and all the rest of it and that's sort of the way oh, yeah, yeah. you know but that doesn't really happen nothing comes and the fact that he uh you know has a condition where he loses his balance easily it's there in the first episode, briefly mentioned in what? Two All from fifty five. Yeah. Yeah, and and, and, then, and then and then that's it. Yeah. Um, so Chris Chibnall does have this tendency to introduce element, you know, aspects of people's characters, and nothing really comes of them. So. Yeah, that, that's weird. That because there was a lot of emphasis on it back in the woman who fell to earth. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's strange that it wasn't followed through. Mm-hmm. Of course, while that scene with the bicycle in the very last episode, the timeless, ch- timeless child, yes. timeless children, yeah, yeah. But um, um, but, but then yeah, weird. So Chris Chibnall has a, as I said, has a <laughs> has had a history of introducing character elements and then nothing becomes of them. So this may be one of those. I'd be although on this occasion, I'd be very surprised if if that is the case. I do think Dan Lewis's passion and interest will be very much a part of the narrative but we'll just have to wait and see um what what were your thoughts on his character and him as an actor well, actually john bishop's performance well i really liked him i couldn't really fault him i think other people on the live stream were mentioning um that maybe his accent wasn't quite up to scratch like he was kind of not playing it serious enough but 
he's a really likable person. There's a, I guess there's, there's a bit of humour there as well, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm fine with. Uh, I think it's a good, uh, it's a good fit. Yeah, yeah. I think you, it's, you, you got any concerns? No, no, not at all. I thought uh, I, I like the character and I like John Bishop's performance of it. I, me personally, I think it's pitched perfectly, um, mm. and I think given that <laughs> given that there are other dark elements to the episode, um, I think his lightness of touch and humorous way of being. Uh, I think you know tonally helps the episode, but I think fits incredibly well. And keeping in mind, you know, his storyline in this episode is is being kidnapped by by a big by, dog. By a dog. No. Um, <laughs> I mean, uh, how serious? Do, how serious do you t- take that? But I'll, I'll come on. I'll come back onto the dog in a bit, because um, one of the things that we're introduced to is clearly the main villain of the story. Swarm. Yes. Swarm. Um, now, Swarm is this mysterious being. Uh, he's been in a millennia-long imprisonment by the Time Lords. In fact, by a group called the Time Lord Division. It's not very clear that they mention the division, mm. but to the casual viewer, it's not really uh, re-explained. No, but then, but then, to, for, for people such as us fans, I mean, this is—we don't know much about the Time Lord Division, do we? Yeah, no. Um, in fact, we we presume these are time lords who arrive. These two people, but yeah, then we've true. got the the dog guy, who is an agent of the division, hmm. but presumably not a time lord. Which is uh, yeah, that's about. true. And but so yeah, the, there is a, yeah that is true. So we there is this assumption that this being the swarm is imprisoned by the time lords. Um, I thought they were because of their get up, how they're dressed. Yes. Um and there's two of them. And yes. one being um ancient time lords as well. Yes. Um and one has been in charge of basically has been the main prison guard and is accompanied by this 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 younger one who the idea is will take over. And the younger one is armed with this gun. Which I thought looked very similar to the Ruth Doctor's gun. I, I made that connection. I didn't actually go back to double check. But I was going to ask you. Yeah, I, I don't think it's an exact... I don't think it looks exactly the same, but the overall design looks very similar. And I th- it was very bulky, wasn't it? Yeah. One, yeah. So, you know, th- when I first watched the episode, I made that connection. And then I was, you know, and there's just going... In fact, did it have like an orangey crystal thing to it? Yes. Yeah, yeah Is it, it mm, It's very sonic and TARDIS then, isn't it? Yes, that's true. Yeah, I, actually, I didn't make that connection to the top, but yes, you're right, it is. So I had made this connection with the Ruth. So at first, I thought that, um, oh, is this a pre Hartnell doctor? Is this linking in with a timeless child thing? Oh, my God. Anybody in this episode could be a pre Hartnell doctor. <laughs> that is very true. Even um, the dog. Even the dog. Um, <laughs> even dad, anyone. You, know, you just don't yeah. know. In All- fact, I mentioned to Mark on the live stream. Um, that uh, he was talking about something recently that I'd remembered. There was a scene, I don't know if it's in The Myth Makers or something, but uh, Bill Hartnell says, um, I am not a dog, a uh, god. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so m- maybe mm. um, <laughs> maybe the first Doctor subconsciously remembered being the dog. <laughs> <laughs> that is a, a famous, or infamous, depending on your point of view, uh, Billy Hartnell fluff. And I think it's... Yeah. Um, 
Peter Purvis's favourite because uh, he's mentioned that a few times as well. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, has Chris Chibnall made made that uh, made canon of it? Yeah. Canon. Yeah, there's the big dog appropriate Arnold Doctor. Oh my god, we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, all bets are off. And, you know, could be any, you know, anything. Um, so back to this prisoner. So back to the prisoner called Swarm. Um, so yeah, I thought initially there was this connection with the Ruth Doctor and, and all the rest of it. But um, what happens is Swarm naturally uh, escapes. It's very master-like for quite a few reasons. But in, mm. in this in this scene in particular, it's like he's stealing people's life force. Yes. And funny enough, initially that was my thought, you know, sort of like, yeah, it is very master-like and stealing life forces and very much the sort of mm. master that pre-Anthony Ailey, post-Roger Delgado, you know, the deadly assassin, keeper of Traken type master. Yeah. It uh, even had me thinking, could it be Sasha Dewan under the makeup? I know it's not now, mm. but at the time I was considering it. Yeah, and actually, I think this is probably one of the scariest moments of the the episode because he kills the first Time Lord and takes all their life essence, and clearly this the you know this renews him a bit, and because he's looking, he was looking quite decayed and old, but now he looks renewed, and it sort of reminded me, not completely, but just because you had spikes coming out of his face, it reminded me of Pinhead from the Hellraiser films. Um, I thought that was. Very, I thought that moment was very chilling. Um, did you think? Yeah. I, I mean, because I thought, wow. I mean, I think. I think if I was a kid watching that, I'd be terrified. Yeah, that that's the thing when, uh, when it, when these kind of creatures and aliens look very, very human as well. Mm-hmm. And you have that grotesque look to them. Uh, that can be pretty scary. Yeah. Yeah. Creepy. Creepy. Yeah, but I say that in a good way. I think it was a great design and realized very well, and it was very creepy and um, realised very well and then he killed the other Time Lord who's there which given the fact that oh is this a Ruth Doctor is a pre-Hartnell Doctor you didn't know what was going to happen so the fact that he killed he kills both of the what we're assuming Time Lords kills them both um, was a bit of a surprise I thought because he could have easily I thought oh is he going to kidnap the other one or yeah um, but no he yeah. kills them both it's also worth pointing out this this whole sequence Um is is also a telepathic link to the doctor. Yes. As well. Uh yes, that's true. Um so this it seems to be projected into the the, the doctor's mind as a, as a memory and as a, as a yes. warning by Swarm. Swarm has Swarm has done this. Swarm knows the doctor and has has memories of fighting the doctor. The doctor on the other hand has no memories of who this person is at all. Not at all, no. Um, and of course, we have another Halloween reference because Swarm says "trick or treat." Was Swarm saying "trick or treat" because this episode is based around Halloween, or was he um, was he anticipating or or seeing ahead to what Yaz was about to say? Yes, that's a good point, actually. Yeah, yeah, I, possibly. I, yeah. I, wasn't, I wasn't sure if he was just. Uh, making a reference to what Yaz was about to say to the Doctor. Could be both. I mean, he says it directly at the camera as well, so he's also saying it to the audience. Very audience, very, Very postmodern. But we also find out that Swarm is not alone. Because, I mean, I was thinking, is it it the Master? Is it a different version of the Master? No, I don't think it is. There was a part of me thinking, is it the Black Guardian? Um, But 
I, I went, um, no. I, I, I thought that probably for, for no more than a minute. And they went, actually, given the fact that he was imprisoned for over a minute, that wouldn't make any sense. I don't think yeah, so. And he's, yeah, and he's not an eternal. It looks like he's got a. He was stealing life force because he possibly is mortal. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, in all likelihood, he's probably a completely original villain. Uh, and given the fact, I actually that, hope so. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. Um, I mean, which I think would also make sense, given the fact that this uh, that this episode and this series as a whole has has a huge array of returning monsters. Yeah, I think uh, having the swarm established as another one uh, might be a bit top heavy, as it were. But we'll see. But the other thing as well is that we find out that swarm has a sister. As you. Yes, so this makes this character's kind of... It makes him more original, because maybe he's definitely not the master at this stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's interesting. And the fact that his sister was initially, descri- uh, initially uh, disguised as a human as well was interesting. Yeah, um, it's almost like the Time Lord sleeper agents were had in Fugitive of the Jadoon, when yeah. that guy was with the Roof Doctor. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. No, was he? The, what? No, he wasn't the sleeper agent. Well, he was just in hi- in hiding. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, but it's almost like um, this swarm's sister didn't know who she was mm-hmm. until swarm pops up because yeah. swarm kills who she thinks is her husband. Yeah. And uh, and then she says, "I don't know why." Uh, I'm thinking this, and he says, "Thinks what?" and says, uh, "What, what uh, did she say? Thank you, thank you." Yeah, yeah, and then yeah, and, and then the human disguise goes, and then it's like, "Oh," it, and established that it's his sister. Yeah, and earlier on, this couple in the Arctic Circle, there was a beacon in the garage which mm. they smashed. Um, maybe um, warning them of the flux coming. Yeah, I mean, because they did. Like, yeah, let's just ignore that. Yeah, it's interesting though that the, the husband was sort of aware of this thing as well, but he's just killed. Yeah, so not human, possibly. Yeah, for him. Yeah, but uh, what the other thing is as well that's interesting. So th- what this, so we got this thing called flux, which is this huge, I don't know what you call it, a huge mist. Yeah, it it almost reminded me of the whole concept of. Davros's reality bomb, kind of, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, breaking up atoms and just spreading, you know, putting the stars out. Yeah, that's true. Actually, um, it, it does have that sort of similar concept and look of the yeah. Stolen Earth episode when we're seeing it go through space and it's it's destroying space and planets and everything. Um, yeah, but. Uh, I thought what was interesting was how Swarm kills people, I thought was actually similar to how the Flux destroys things. Everything just seems to be scattered to the ah, winds. That's right, yeah. Um, so th- there seems to be a, a tie-up. And the fact that the film, the, the villain's called Swarm, is this a swarm? Um, is he a part of Flux? Or has he created... Or it might just be the case that he's created it. But I think there's, there's definitely a connection there. I wasn't thinking of a connection. I, at least I couldn't see one. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the, there may not be. It was just I thought that the way that swarm kills people because they just seem to scatter into dust and you know, yeah. and, and 
the flux is doing that on a much bigger scale i just thought how they're both destroying things was quite similar yeah um oh we also have the tardis going all wrong seems to be leaking and changing yeah that's right so during the course of this episode um you know it's it's leaking black stuff um the tardis doesn't seem to, to want to be traveling places the doctor's having to keep constantly hit it with a hammer Mm. It's actually quite nice to see uh, Yaz being able to to fly the TARDIS. In fact, one of the things as well that's been really great with this episode, because everything's been pared down, and you know the Doctor and Yaz have clearly been travelling on their own for a while. It's finally great to see Yaz be really a big part of the story and see her work fully as a character. Because one thing that we've said when we when we've been reviewing the Jodie Whittaker series is that uh, Amanda Gill, very good actress playing a character that we quite like but the character hasn't really been allowed to do anything constantly sidelined it's been very frustrating finally at sort of like the last five minutes of the Jodie Whittaker era you know she's able to really come to the fore and you know that's great to see not only in terms of seeing a very good actress play the part incredibly well and have that character be part of the narrative but see how you know she's developed and the fact that she's able to control the TARDIS and things like that was was great to see um, yeah, I hope we get to see more of the whole Doctor Yaz dynamic going yeah. forward mm-hmm. for the last few episodes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, so, so that was great to see. Um, yeah. And but anyway, yes, going back to to the TARDIS. So, um, the the TARDIS interior is like really misbehaving. So anyway, you know, the, uh, the crystal formation seems to be uh, going down. The black stuff's leaking. The TARDIS isn't working properly, and then the interior door seems to move and twist at an angle. Yeah. And then, and then later mm-hmm. on, when they uh, when they've rescued Dan, I've, I'll get onto this in a second because I'm leaping ahead a little bit. But when they've rescued Dan and they rush into the TARDIS, there's a they, they come through an additional door that wasn't there before in the console. Yeah. Room. In fact, it emerges from the floor. It does yeah. Uh, my my couple of theories was that with the black stuff. Uh, if if time's in a state of flux, maybe the TARDIS is that is being erased in its past, and also with the doors shifting. I later on thought perhaps um, the the door will seal before the flux gets to it. Yeah, possibly. Maybe maybe, it, maybe it's a self defense. The TARDIS is trying to move move the door create a barrier from the um, the outside dimensions with the flux coming mm-hmm. and pr- protect it protect its interior yeah i mean w- with um in matt smith's uh first series the last two episodes you know where the tardis explodes oh yeah but the the tardis has its emergency protocol where it seals off the console room to protect uh river song in that case but the you know but keeps it in a time loop so it has a sort of um, you know, it's sort of been established before. If if that's what happened, if that if that's going to be the case, but I think yeah. it's safe to say that you know, th- um, you know, th- things are serious. Uh, yeah. Something's attacking time. Time isn't going well. It's affecting the it, TARDIS. The TARDIS seems to be dying, as as you sort of hinted at. Yes. Um, it's also mentioned in this episode that the TARDIS might be alive. Mm-hmm. You know, when Dan asks and Yaz makes a remark like, "Oh, I don't know," but she talks to it a lot. Um, I'd never. I didn't think that was significant until now. Perhaps that was a bit of information for the viewer, reminding us that the TARDIS is alive. 
Yeah, and as a as a as a sentient thing, yeah, just as just as a reminder. I thought that I mean I thought that scene was very well done. You didn't feel like you were being hit over the head with uh with yeah. a continuity reminder or anything like that. It just felt very much of the moment, you know, the, the doctor talking to the TARDIS and him just going, Why is she talking? Is it alive? So I thought all oh, that was good. But yeah, it may be the maybe, case maybe that would be more relevant, I Yeah. Um and then Time's been attacked. Is is the TARDIS folding in on itself? Hence the different doors and everything like that. So the you know, I mean yeah. the stakes are high, and the, the the episode just keeps on ramping it all up. But wanting to go to go back, um, Dan has been kidnapped by this. This story's dog. all over the place. <laughs> I, I mean, it is. I mean, um, I'm trying to be as sort of like yes. flowing with the story. We ha- I know. I, I feel like we've missed something. Oh. With Dan in the museum, we're introduced to Diane. I, I was going to get back to it, but yes. Yeah, okay, yeah. We'll, we'll get back to her later on. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Good. But you're right. I mean, we're hopping around all over the place, and it's uh, this is what I meant. It was just sort of like there's an awful lot going on, and we seem to be sort of like bits of... Uh, I know. I'm almost worried we're going to forget well. something. Um, uh, hopefully not. But um, So anyway, Dan's been kidnapped by this giant dog. Uh, who up until now, with the exception of the swarm, we thought was like one good was a bad guy, but turns out is not. I think it's a really cute idea, and again, I think kids would get a huge kick out of this. I just thought it was adorable, but it's this idea that um, we have these these aliens who look like big dogs, and they are uh, tied to uh, to um, to every single human on the planet to protect them. Yeah. Um, one each was it? Yeah, yeah, one each. So there's the, you know the, there's seven billion people. So there's seven billion dogs uh, arriving to Earth to, to rescue everyone. And the fact that we need rescuing is going. You know th- things are you know things are really serious. But back to this really fun idea. Just go you know. But it's uh, we're protected by giant dogs. You know man's best friend. Yeah. Um, which I just think is great. But um, but before they rescue. Dan, they encounter a woman called Claire uh, in the middle of the street um, and she appears to know both the Doctor and Yaz, but it's clearly established that she doesn't, she, she knows them from their future. Yeah. It was very, given the fact that the Weeping Angels were, were involved, Yeah, it's very Sally Sparrow because she she had already knew the Doctor from the DVDs, from the Easter eggs. Mm-hmm. And then he meets her for the first time and she already knows him. Yeah. So it was very similar, yeah. Um, but I think a lot of people, I know that you've picked up on this, Rob, and I know that with the, the, the after show uh, YouTube thing, other uh, people from other... People have pointed out that she, she talks about how she was heading home the long way around. Mm, yeah. Now, I noticed that. The first yeah, time, now yeah. that's... That may just be the case that a case of Chris Chibnall giving her those words as a um, as a red herring, because um, for those who may not know, in the fiftieth anniversary um, special, uh, the day of the Doctor, he talks about you know um, needing to find Gallifrey. Uh, maybe that's you know it's it's all about heading home the long way around. So the fact that Claire's being said those words seems to have some significance. Um, but having said that, though, that may just be, that may just be a red herring, and you know, she was just going for a walk, and she was had she was going, she was heading home she, the long way around. Kind, she kind of paused when she said, "It's Halloween. I was taking the long yeah, I was going home the long way around." Um, yeah, she said it almost like she'd been hypnotized. Do you think? 
Uh, possibly. No. I mean, it was sort of said in the in the way of going mark, mark these words, viewers. Um, but we we'll just have mm. to see whether that that whether that actually pays off or was it just a red herring. But clearly, you know, Claire's going to pop up and be a big part of the story, and she's menaced by a weeping angel, as you said. Um, and she knows of them too. Yes, and she know. Yeah, the fact that she knows that you do not blink. Uh, yeah. And I thought that was actually a good scene when she's struggling to get into the house and get the key and not blink. And I thought that was that was nice. Yeah. Done. I wonder if the Weeping Angels are involved with the Division era of of Gallifrey. Hmm. We did have Rassilon mention the Weeping Angels of old in the End of Time Part Two. Yes. Yeah. If yeah. the Weeping Angels are part of their history. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it was established, but wasn't there supposed to be a bit of a hint that Weeping Angels are um, imprisoned Time Lords or something like that? Yeah, perhaps because um, Rassilon said uh, of the two that voted against, um, they'll stand as monument to their shame. Yes. And they're covering their eyes with their hands. Yeah, yeah. So some people have sort of said maybe that's a link to the Weeping Angels or mm. you know. I mean it's never been categorically said it's just a, it's just a thought so that may play into it it may not but we obviously we will just have to wait and see yeah. um uh but that that's pretty much it for for Claire and then yeah. as i said the doctor and Yaz res- rescue Dan from the giant dog um and that was great you know Yaz is uh she, I just thought that was really great. You know, she's she's looking at the cage that is holding Dan. Says that there are, I've forgotten the number. Did she say there were twelve booby traps? I think so. Yeah. Uh, but whatever the number is, you know, she's able to clock them all and then sort it all out and go, yep, switch them all off. Dealt with it. You can get out. I like that. You know, so Yaz again, it's establishing the fact that the Doctor and Yaz have travelled for quite a bit, and she's she's le- uh, learned uh, an awful lot. Yeah, um, she's a lot more confident and competent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and it's during this moment that we established that the dog isn't an enemy and he's been trying, rather than kidnapping uh, Dan, he's actually been trying to rescue him. Yeah. Um, uh, another thing as well is uh, we see that Dan had a romantic interest with the, with a character called Diane and she who who worked at the, the Liverpool Museum that we saw him at the very beginning of the episode. Uh, they had arranged to meet uh, for for Halloween drinks, uh, but obviously he's off in a spaceship with a giant dog. She's yeah. she's waiting outside a, an abandoned house, as you do, uh, waiting. And it, it, seemingly, waiting this relationship between them, this friendship or whatever, mm. that's the only connection between them. So why is she so significant? Yeah, so that's yeah. another thing as well. Bizarre. Because she's, I was going to say lured, but really she's forced into this abandoned house. Um, she enters this abandoned house, and when she's inside, it doesn't it doesn't certainly look like an abandoned house. It, it it looks cave-like inside, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, is that actually inside the house, or was she transported? Not sure. I think it. I think it's safe to say she was transported. I thought it looked like they were in a giant cave, but then I'm wondering if um, this was where we first saw Swarm at the beginning. Is this his former prison? Uh, I'm not too sure, but either way, oh, I don't know. When it was when, very wet, yes, it was. It was very wet, um, and it's there that she encounters Azure, who is Swarm's sister. 
Mm. Uh, and that was quite a, a creepy episode because Diane doesn't want to go into the house, but she's being forced to do against her will. You know, so Azure and Swarm clearly have very powerful, uh, have uh, are very mentally powerful. Not only can yeah. Swarm mentally project to the Doctor, no matter where she is and what time, um, Azure is able to mentally control people. Mm-hmm. You know, so these are you know the um, it you know ramps up um, how you know, their risk. Um, so so that was interesting. Uh, and then and again, okay. So th- there's also another character uh, who we're introducing to the story. As if this wasn't enough, um, there's a there's a character called Vinda. Uh, yeah, I'd known of him from all the promotional stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that uh, and he. His scenes are all on all on his own, and um, I want to go. Jacob Anderson, he's the actor. Sorry, I just right, had to remind yeah. myself. Um, I think uh, was he in Game of Thrones? I never saw Game of Thrones. But... I have not seen it yet. Right. Okay. Everyone is screaming at us now. Yeah, but I know that um, Jacob Anderson, who plays Vinda, has you know. Um, I think I'm sure he was in Game of Thrones, but I, I know, he was in a very popular series. And it has you know, uh, and is very well respected as an actor. So having him in, and all his scenes in this episode were totally on his own. Uh, and mm. I, I, I loved his performance. And I, I'm re- actually, to be perfectly honest, even though you know, I like, I love all the other characters that we've seen, and you know, especially John Bishop as Dan Lewis being the main one. It's kind of Vinda who I'm interested in, and seeing how he will later emerge and later later in the series. But he's the sole crew member on this remote outpost in deep space seemingly in the far future um called outpost rose yeah um so that's another thing as well it's it's going is outpost rose it was again is that another red herring are we supposed to look into that is it supposed to be a hint mm-hmm. of something or mm, I, I, i'm gonna say no yeah i'm gonna say no as well um but again it's one of those sort of like tantalizing things that i'm sure a lot of people have, have picked yeah. up on and, and thought about yeah so what's your take on his character? What's your presumptions about who he is? Is he human in your mind? Um, I hadn't thought about it. I mean, I assumed he was, um, but I mean, he could I, very I thought, easily be an I alien. thought perhaps he was a Time Lord um, operative. I, I don't think he was... Back in the old days. Along with the Division members. That's a. I never thought of that. I'll get onto that in a second because that's that's an interesting thought, possibly. I mean, because my initial take on it was uh, we have this deep space remote outpost. Yeah. Uh, for... Of course, he'd been he's been on tour there for a long time. I don't know if we could take that as being a, a long lifespan. I don't know. Yeah, but I mean, there to to observe uh, whatever uh, the mm. universe in general. Um, and also provide reports, and I don't know whether it was providing reports for someone or if it was some supposed to like a radio show of him talking about what he's doing, what he's seeing. Yeah. Um, but going back to to your suggestion, that's that's a possibility. This uh, of going, you know, he was an early Time Lord pioneer, and maybe it's the you know the early days of Rassilon, possibly. Yeah. Or if he is human, uh, his presence there um, could represent humanity's future. And if time's in flux, mm-hmm. um, maybe his future's also um, 
eradicated or something. Yeah, I mean, that, that was my take. That was sort of the angle I was going with it. But I mean, at this this stage, it's um, this is setting up this, this big series long story. Mm. And it the whole point of it is, is introduce the main players and um, give us a few tantalizing glimpses and then we're just going to have to to follow the story. So that's the character of Vinda and he he witnesses the flux storming through space and destroying planets. So he has to um leave the remote this remote outpost uh, an emergency escape pod um at very much the last minute. Um so that's his character. I'm very interested to see how he will tie up to, to the main thing and then if that wasn't enough we also get the Sontarans yes <laughs> <laughs> now let's talk about we'd seen them in the, we'd seen them in the trailer yes but now we, we've got them back um, was it so many trillion light years away um, yes which would put yeah. them which would put them outside the Milky Way galaxy um, in keeping with um, the fact that um, are they from Andromeda Galaxy? I, I'm not. Uh, I'm not sure actually. But I, I think um, in Classic Who they just had incursions within this galaxy. Yeah, in their interminable battle against the Rutans. Yeah. Um, weren't they supposed to come from? I remember something about you know the far far arm of the mut, uh, the Mutter Spiral or something like that. Anyway. Well, well, the Mutter Spiral is the Milky Way. I thought by, it was by, by Time Lord de, um, definition, right? And I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure in the Santoran experiment, the guy on the on the TV screen <laughs> says says they're in Andromeda. I might be wrong. No, I think I think you're right actually. Um, but uh, for one thing, this the Santorans in terms of New Doctor Who have gone through this massive redesign, um, which I absolutely love. It harks back to classic Santor, you know, Santorans in classic Who. Mm-hmm. Which, as a design, I much preferred. I, uh, it wasn't so much a case of the redesign as we saw in the the Russell T Davis era was bad, um, because actually I think the design matched how the Centaurans were written. Um, so the design themselves were f- were fine for how the Centaurans were then depicted. I didn't like how they were depicted. Um, no. I thought they were too comedic, and you couldn't really take them, you know, couldn't really take them seriously as a as a threat. Um, now, there's always been a comedic element to the Sontarans that's been there from the Time Warrior when they were first introduced. The you know Russell, uh, Robert Holmes, who created the characters, was it was basically his satire on on war. Mm-hmm. So there's always been a humorous element, but at the end of the day, they are a monster, and they are supposed to be, you know, a bit scary. At least. Well, they are supposed to be scary as well. And pose a threat, and they are a warlike race. Finally, we we get a, a design of the Centaurans in New Who, which you know you can tell that these are a warlike race, and they absolutely relish in it. I love it, and you can go, yeah, you've got that element of how they appeared in the Time Warrior, that element of how they appeared in um, the Invasion of Time, and all yeah. this, but ma- you know, but making it its own. I just think it's a very very good design. I love it a lot. Um, yeah. And it does keep the mothership idea from the Poison Sky two-parter yes. from the modern era, uh-huh. which I like. I love the whole idea of the the spheres coming out of the mothership. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty cool idea. But yes, they look a lot more armoured now and less bluey purple. 
Yeah. Uh, we had Dan Starkey appear over the hologram mm-hmm. as the other Santaran. Yeah. It's it's hard to tell over the hologram. Did you um, take him as being a Russell T. Davis era Santaran? No. No. I wasn't sure if that was the case. You know how he says, oh, it was, it was mainly because he was kind of old and war bad, but he was saying how he was so ugly and repulsive. <laughs> or I thought that was a dig at the at the Russell T Davis. Centaurans. No, I didn't. It's because I thought that he he was he was playing a Centauran of this new design that we're seeing. Yeah. Um and I, I just took it a couple of things. I thought it was um humor. I, I mean I love I love the scene and it did make me chuckle with the because I, it seemed like the Centauran who was calling him ugly wasn't saying it as an insult. <laughs> He seemed to be relishing no. the idea that the Santara <laughs> was, you're really ugly. Um, you know, because without, I just thought it was, you know, because he's battle scarred and you absolutely love, you, you love the repulsive. Um, I just thought it was really funny and I thought that was what it was, it was commenting on. Um, yeah, I like that idea. Yeah. And you can, you can, and for me that, that, that one scene, short although it is, I think it says everything what's great about the Santarans. They are a threat. They love war. You, you know, you, you certainly want to want you certainly wouldn't want to enter battle with them, but at the no. same time they are funny. Yeah. But it's getting and their balance right. I they, th- they know about the flux. Yes, and they do know. They're, about all, they're the always flux. wanting to get involved in um all the time stuff that's going on. Yeah. Always feeling left out. Never wanted to, to turn down turn down a fight. Whereas I think yeah. just going back to that balance. Whereas I think um, although I like uh, although I like the character uh, Strax, I think uh, Stephen Moffat. Re- f- f- it's probably an, uh, some- somewhat of an exaggeration, but I think he ruined the Santarans because I think he he focused too much on the comedic element. Whereas this, as I said, I think it's you know the, the humor is definitely there. Uh, yeah. And it did make me chuckle, but they clearly pose a threat. And I think that it was much more. I think the balance was was better here. And this is the first time that I've seen the Santarans. I think really since the Two Doctors, which is nineteen eighty five, um, the first time that they really seem quite dangerous. So that's an awfully long time. So I, I was loving the design, the redesign, and uh, and the performances, and the writing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and. Uh... I wonder if they'll. Uh, I wonder how they'll be killed because it's a lot less brutal in the new era. Instead of throwing knives in their in their port at the back, you just hit them with a mallet and they go down. Yeah, so they've, got a, they've got a big vulnerability, but it's kind of toned down. Or, in the, uh, or burning the them with era. acid, like uh, Chassini uh, does in the Two Doctors. I can't, you know, and that you know, and you yeah. see them because their blood's green. You see them bulb. I can't see the new. Although I think that's. Although I think that's a great yeah. moment in the, the two doctors, I can't. Yeah, you're right. I yeah. can't see the, the new series doing doing anything like. Or that. like, um, what does Tom Baker do in the Santoran experiment? Well, he reverses his charging unit and he just kind of deflates like a balloon. Yes. Um, the dilu- was it the if dilu- I remember correctly diode transformer or something. Anyway, yes, yeah. <laughs> It, they might go down that route, deflate a Santaran. Um or uh, although uh, anyway, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. But I, I love the Santarans, so so they're so they're there. Um, and we also get to hear the cloister bell. Yay! <laughs> oh, it made me cheer. Um, it? <laughs> just going, yeah, it's our sound. Um, 
So, so that was nice. Uh, yeah. And then we have the cliffhanger, which provides us with all the, you know, all these these moments of what's happened to Claire, what's happened to Diane, this is what's happening to the TARDIS crew. And do you remember Liverpool 1820? And you go, oh yeah, I forgot about that. He still stood there. He still stood there, <laughs> staring at his tunnel like, like like nothing's happened for the last 45 minutes. Um, uh, yeah, so so all that. I did actually like the, the cliffhanger because it, it did feel big and epic. And it did go, it's yeah. like, yeah, I want to tune in to see episode two and find out what the hell's going on. Yeah, I hope uh, the rest of the series is good. Mm-hmm. This one kind of hit the ground running. Yeah, uh, it left loads of mystery in, loads of questions, very in keeping with modern storytelling, especially with uh, stories that span an entire series. Um, we've had story arcs in Doctor Who before, yeah. but it's been very episodic. So, w- will uh, will this kind of momentum keep going through the series? Do you think? Or do you think we'll have more standalone chapters? No, I think the, I think, and also I'm obviously hoping, but I think um, that the ment- momentum will keep up. I mean, it's safe to say because we're, we're coming to the end of the Chris Chibnall era with this. Uh, I know we've got a couple of specials uh, coming up, but this yeah. is the last series um, under his belt. I think it's safe to say that we've. Although there may be individual stories that we like, um, and we like Jodie Whittaker's performance, etc. On the yeah. whole, we've been quite disappointed with this series. Um, whatever we may think of Flux as a whole, which obviously we'll know when it comes to an end with the sixth episode, I th- think it'll probably be safe to say that whatever it will be, Flux will be the the peak of the Chibnall era. Of course, yeah. Um at this point, I think the first episode is... I'm, I'm feeling very positive about it, let's say. Yeah. Um, so I think that's... Have, have I missed anything? I don't think so. I've been going back over my notes because this whole thing is just all over the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't think so. Uh, yeah. Um. Okay, so shall we go to listeners' responses? Yes, let's get them out right now. Uh, have you got them? Or do you want me to read them out? Uh, I, to? I did have it. Yeah, could you read those out, Rob? Sorry. Yeah, sure. So, Christopher Brett Hall said, I feel it's a solid start to the new season. It was a little congested with all the new plot threads being added, but I feel that the thing that will make or break is how well Chibnall can stick the landing, which I don't feel he has a good record for. Very good point. Um, In some cases, yeah. Uh, So we can be as optimistic as we want, but he might not uh, follow through with this kind of thing. Mm. Yeah. I'm optimistic. No, no, I, I am as well. It, it, I mean, it's a good point, uh, and I think you know it's certainly one. Is that, yeah, you're right with the with the track record there. Um, there's been quite a few damp, damp squibs during the the Chippenhall era, but I'm optimistic. Yeah. I think the uh, for for me the Halloween apocalypse is a. It's like yeah, this is a. I'm positive. 
Yeah. <laughs> Rob Keeley said, just time shifted Doctor Who, um, sorry, appropriately. Um, oh, sorry, yes, got here. I'll start again. So, Rob Keeley said, just time shifted Doctor Who appropriately. Flux John Bishop was the best thing in it, and it's great to see Liverpool in the series. It would have worked better had we discovered the Doctor and Yaz from Dan's point of view. Uh, yeah, I think that maybe that possibly would have happened if there wasn't so much going on. Yeah. Um, he did say, the story's all over the place. Jodie and Mandip grabbing dialogue. Um, sorry, gabbling dialogue. Um, and new aliens a bit daft. Carvinista looks like Hacker T-Dog. Who's that? I feel like I should know. That's a, it certainly mm. rings a bell. Oh. Uh, um, and I don't know why the Centaurans and Angels were in it at all. Uh, but it was winning me over by the end. Yeah. I think that's what we're all asking. Why are they in it? <laughs> you know what? Because I've just Googled Hacker T Dog. And... Uh... <laughs> Rob, you need to you need to Google Hacker T Dog because yes, I'm okay. sorry, but the <laughs> basically Hacker Hacker T Dog was a dog puppet who appeared on a children's BBC television. Oh yeah, uh, I know him. Yeah, <laughs> and actually, yeah, Hacker T Dog is in the Halloween Apocalypse. Yeah, <laughs> he's grown up now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's. He is described as being a Border Terrier who was born and lives in Wigan. He's the half-brother of Dodge T-Dog and is the son of Mrs. T-Dog. His father right. is never mentioned or seen. Because oh. I know um, he used to host on CBBC, mm-hmm. but uh, he did move over to CBBS for a while as well. Right, okay. Yeah. And now he's in the Halloween apocalypse. Yeah, yeah. Aye. Moving up in the world. <laughs> Um, Santa Yonachi sorry if I've said that right um, I don't know if I could describe this new season pilot episode but all I can say that it's another mind blown and superb opener in, in Doctor Who for me 13 and Yaz's dynamic is getting stronger than ever but also facing new challenges Dan is just amazing and I can't wait to see more of him Carvinista, aka the space doggo, very cool already, and so does so is his laser axe. Yeah, Vinda's intro is super spanky, and I'm pretty excited to see him in action. The Weeping Angel and the Santarans are more scarier this time. Yeah. yeah, I think that's true. But also pretty psyched to see more of them in the season. Mm-hmm. The swarm, um, sorry, and and swarm, I already. I already got the chills on my on my nerves while seeing him. Loving some nods from the other doctors and stories that we all that we're all familiar with. Diane and Claire are pretty interesting characters, and I'm very curious about their involvement in Doctor Yaz and Dan's adventures as well. Yes, yeah, so I think this has got most people excited and curious. I think she's right there though, the Weeping Angels. Uh, are definitely 
scary in this one. Yeah, I mean, we only saw one solitary... Uh, Sorry, the Weeping Angel. Yeah, the Weeping Angel. Um, but very... Uh, yeah. I loved how it, you know, it was just lit and appeared in a, in the middle of a dark street. Yeah, I hope this doesn't. Um, I don't know what to say to you, Liam. Do you, in your mind, when was the last time we, as the audience, saw the Weeping Angels? My, my initial. I know this is wrong. My initial memory was that it was. Um, Oh, what was it? It was the Matt Smith story. In, it was again in his first series, Time. I think it had stolen. I can't remember what right. it was called, but the two parter. But I know that's wrong. I think, didn't they make a brief appearance in um, Matt Smith's very final episode on the planet Christmas? Uh, possibly, yes. You don't know, so I can't say no more. Oh, no, hang on. One appeared in. Um, the last special. It was in the prison. Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah, I guess that was the the last appearance. Okay, there's something I can't really tell you. Oh, okay. Um, because you haven't seen it. <laughs> I know something you don't know. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Uh, yeah. Right. Okay. Great. But I think I'm going to suggest we might we might explore that after the new year. All right. Okay. Yeah. Some of the listeners might know. I think maybe like twenty percent of them. I've no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, and I hope it's not relevant in this series. But yeah. All right. Okay. Okay. That's it for listeners' responses this week. Uh, unless uh, you've got any more, Liam. Uh, I can't see any. So if we have missed any, I'm terribly sorry. Yeah. But no, I think I think that's all. Of yeah. Them. Thanks for getting in touch. But uh, yeah, just the three for new Doctor Who. Hmm. Ah. Really, I didn't ask enough. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so, d- just in terms of uh, s- summing up, because there's an awful, because uh, we're almost hitting uh, this without editing, might be able to tweak it down a little bit, but we're approaching an hour and a half. Um, so just to sort of, because there's, no, as I said, there's an awful, there's an awful lot of characters and an awful lot of things being established, uh, which yeah. is one would one would expect. But uh, even I'm kind of like, whoa. Um, so try to sum up. Uh, thoughts and a thoughts and a score, Rob. Thoughts and a score. Um, I thought it was brilliant. Um, it was. Are we still using our same scoring system? Good, average, bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Of course, of course, it was good. If there is any flaws, um, it's perhaps that there's too much going on. Not for me though. I I like a bit of mystery. You know, figure things out in your head or. Have a bit of patience, mm-hmm. and it'll be explained um, further down the line. I hope the rest of the series is good, but yeah, I really liked it. Yeah, I really liked it as well. Uh, I liked it so much more than Spyfall and the Woman Who Fell to Earth. Yes, given that they were the previous two openers. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, yeah. I think it, I think yeah I think it's definitely the best season opener of the of the Chibnall era without a doubt. Yeah, I'm terribly excited, looking forward to how the rest of the series plays out and the immediate next episode, because we seem to have a big Sontaran battle mm. uh, on 19th century. I'm assuming it'll be the 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 war in Crimea, but we shall see. But uh, it looks like it's going to be uh, terribly good. Yeah. That one. 
Yeah. It's got, yeah, so it's not like the war in Liverpool. <laughs> it's got nothing to do with the tunnels. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we're, we're going to say, what's going to happen to those blasted tunnels? What's that? Yeah. What's going? Uh, We've got Santarans on horses. Yeah. Yeah. See, did they get did they get large horses or did they get little people? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. How did they get up there? Uh, they're just little, actually just oh, 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 no. I was going to say they've got the grav bars, but they just get heavy. They don't get light. Yeah. Yeah, the grav bars from the Suntaran experiment. Mm-hmm. Oh, they could use Carvinista's grav bars. They go up, don't they? Yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, Rambling. totally agreed. Enjoyed the episode. An awful lot going on, but I, I quite liked it. Uh, kept me engaged. It was it was interesting. Um, definitely looking forward to the next episode. But in terms of the, the Halloween apocalypse, very good, tantalising introduction, and uh, I thought it was good. Yeah, excited for next week. Uh, before we go, I did do a poll. Mm-hmm. I asked, are you excited for new Doctor Who? 75.8% said, of course. 24.2% voted, ha, don't make me laugh. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, well, you never know. If, if, if those people did watch it, they may have been pleasantly surprised. Uh, I hope yeah. so. Rather than just go, <laughs> no, I was disappointed as I thought I would be. Um, yeah. But yeah, hopefully it's it's. It, I'm getting a good feel about this series from from this episode, and uh, I've, I've got a feeling that finally, Chris Chibnall may not disappoint. But uh, maybe not. Yeah. Yeah. We just. Hey, we might we might revisit it in in a new light. Maybe. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that yeah. optimistic, but uh, <laughs> who knows? Um. Yeah. So you should be able to check out our next podcast. Next Friday, being the 12th of November, podcast 85, War of the Santorans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, thanks for listening, everyone. Is that everything, Meme? Uh, yep, that's everything. Uh, cool. Yeah, thanks, everyone. Cheers. Bye. Bye. The cloister bell? Yes. What's that? Well, it's a sort of communications device reserved for wild catastrophes and sudden calls to man the battle stations. That's the cloister bell. Don't worry about that for now. It's not really terribly significant. The cloister bell? Oh, no.